You're about to join Niels Kostrup Larsen on a raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Series. Welcome or welcome back to this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series with Alan Don and I, Niels Kastorblasen, where each week we take the pulse of the global market through the lens of a rules-based investor. Now, if you're new to the show, I hope that today's episode will trigger your curiosity enough to check out the back catalogue and listen to some of the past episodes that you may have missed, like last week's episode with Rich, where he discussed the topic of uncertainty and the role it plays within the trend-following world. Also, I would like to really encourage you to listen to the midweek episode where Kevin was joined by David Rubenstein, and where I think we heard a rare and quite personal side of Mr. Rubenstein, and what he has learned from all of his conversations that he's had with some of the most successful investors in the world, and of course, his long career at Carlisle. And, of course, not least... You should really listen to the extra episodes that Alan and I have done with the largest CTA firms in the world and where we are essentially, I think, for the first time taking the pulse of all these managers, more or less at the same time, covering a wide range of topics that are relevant for the firms themselves, but also for the industry as a whole. And there is much more to come in this series. Speaking of Alan, Alan, it's good to have you with me today and um how are how are things in dublin things are good yeah i'm well uh good to speak to you again it's been we've done a lot a lot of podcasts in the last while but it's all been great <laughs> yeah it's almost like a daily occurrence um but um today will be different of course because we're back in the in our usual strive with a little bit of uh, current content and some really good topics uh we hope uh, that people will enjoy but my uh, because I have had a pretty hectic traveling uh, schedule this week, I was thinking of doing something slightly different from what we normally do uh, in terms of a market wrap because I haven't really followed what's been going on. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot that's been going on. I thought maybe today you and I could just um, perhaps discuss some of the more the, the bigger global macro issues or observations that we that we both have um, and use that as a little bit of a a, a jumping board for our conversation. So if you don't mind, uh, I would love to hear what's been on your radar or what is on your radar right now in terms of the bigger issues, which of course will also have an effect on the markets as as we see them and therefore also have an effect on the performance of trend followers, of course. But let's take it one step at the time, maybe. Yeah, sure. Um, I, like, I think it is, as ever, at a very interesting juncture. Um, you know, I would say, you know, in terms of macro themes, you know, the first one, obviously, the big focus is, I, I guess, the, the the economic outlook and and the unfolding slowdown that, we, that we're seeing uh you know, particularly in the U.S. economy, but but kind of the patchy nature of the slowdown and and people, it seems like the market is very much grappling with with well, how how bad is it and 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 you know, um, you know, very much conflicting signals. So obviously we had you know GDP numbers out this week that were that that were reasonably good, but you know we've had uh, weakness in leading indicators, weakness in the ISM services sector, obviously ongoing weakness in the housing market. But at the same time, you know, the, the, the labor market is holding up pretty well. I think jobless claims have been pretty low and obviously the unemployment rate stays low. So there's this, you know, question of I, I think the consensus is probably for a kind of a moderate slowdown. But, but you know, it remains to be seen whether it'll be that that or, or worse. You know, obviously monetary policy uh, uh, comes with a lag. So, so I think that's one big theme. I think a second one is... Um, we've had a mild uh, winter here in Europe, obviously. So, so Europe seems to have dodged a bullet, really, in terms of the impact of of, of weather on on the energy markets. And I think there's a sense of much more optimism around Europe. If you look at European equities, up probably about ten percent on the month. So, so certainly, that's a, a, an emerging theme as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, to the background, a a big theme influencing markets is this disinflation story. You know, obviously the last kind of three, 
certainly two or three inflation numbers in in the US uh, on the CPI have been better than expected, and not just the not just that the headlines coming down, the core is coming down, and then if you look into the details. It's the housing component that that which is which is a lagged measure that's kind of keeping inflation elevated. So there's a strong sense of disinflation, but then again, a, a question as to okay, it's heading in the right way, but 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 um, is it going to get down to target or will it prove to be sticky? So I think that's another theme. And then related to that, obviously we've got China reopening. Obviously, you know, going back a few months, we had China very much in lockdown, and and due to you know, a, a kind of change in, in in approach from from the ruling party, uh, a, a very sharp reopening. So we're in the midst of a of a reopening phase in China, which I think is also shaping the economic um, the, the optimism that that maybe the global economy can might be able to pull through if we get kind of a spurt of of growth from China. I mean, it's not obvious to me. Is China reopening? Is it inflationary or disinflationary? You know, it's it's it 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 obviously China reopening is good on on the production side, but on the uh, uh, in terms of easing supply chains, but obviously you bring in a, an incremental buyer, particularly in commodity markets. So I, I think you know there's there's two sides of it there with with, with China opening, and um, a couple of other themes I think are important. Um, the debt ceiling is obviously back in focus in in in, in the US. Um, it's it's it feels like every two years you get this uh, crazy suggestion about minting the the trillion dollar coin, and you have to kind of look up to see you know you know where did this come from? But you know it, it, it's it's the whole point that the US has this process of setting a limit on on the amount of debt they can have, and every couple of years they have to have a, a renegotiation between. Uh, the Republicans and Democrats, and I suppose what's worried people this time is, you know, there's uh, more, even more uh, acrimony in in uh, in Congress, and uh, you know, the, the, so there's this suggestion, obviously, a concern, I think, that um, that, that the, these uh, deliberations and negotiations could be even longer than normal, and we could be back to a 2011 type scenario where. You know, you know, a genuine fear of, of default or, or a U.S. downgrade again. So I think that's a, an, another kind of macro theme. Um, a final one I'll just throw in, which I think is is also part of the mix as well, is that I think it got a little bit overlooked when it came out first, and that was the U.S. Uh, Inflation Reduction Act that that Biden brought in. Um, you know, it, it didn't seem to be very focused on on reducing inflation but one thing it did do is provide a lot of incentives for for for, for the production of of um uh green energy projects and you know for uh, incentives around uh, buying uh, evs and producing them in the us and and that seems to have generated a lot of um well planned investment and and even for european companies to redomicile some of their plants to you to the us and now we're starting to see a concern in Europe around this and a potential reaction from the European side too. So it is something that you know we've talked about before that this greening of the global economy is going to have to take a lot of investment, um, and that could be inflationary as well over, over time. But it, actually, we're starting to see in you know in the news flow a bit more tangible signs that that's starting to kick in now. So I think that's and that could be one of the reasons why we are seeing strength in the kind of the material stocks and things like that, even in the face of this kind of widespread expectation of recession. So so that that was kind of my list uh, of uh, kind of main macro themes uh, digesting at the moment. I think you know if you were to sum it all up, I think markets have gone from being very pessimistic, probably like. September, October last year around stagflation and have downgraded stagflation risk in the last number of months and, and increased the, the likelihood of, of a softer landing and um, maybe even a return to Goldilocks. Uh, but whether that proves to be correct or not, um, I'm not sure. I'm still, um, you know, I'm still, still very focused on the fact that we've had a big shift in monetary policy and that often impacts the economy with, with a lag. So who knows when we're going to see the full, full economic impact of higher rates. Yeah, I mean, it's a great list, um, and many of the topics so it was not even on my list, but I think there is uh, some commonality for sure. I mean, if I was going to sum up what's sort of how uh, a lot of these things uh, relate to the markets, I would say that it's all, it feels to me like the markets are pricing for some kind of perfection that we somehow magically, uh, you know, c- get around a lot of these issues, and it's it, it, and we have this kind of, soft landing rates will go down later in the year etc cetera, etc cetera. 
But I think you said something that's very, very important in dealing with all of this, because there's no doubt that government plays a much bigger role in in how we will come through this uh, period. And you, and you mentioned the point about, well, you know, can they even agree? And I actually think that's a really important point because w- when you have crises, then there is uh, obviously a need for people to work together and to um, uh, essentially find solutions across the aisle, uh, if we look at the American system. But it doesn't strike me as if there is that will to work together uh, in, in, in many countries, uh, frankly, to find these solutions. So, uh, so I'm concerned about uh, whether we can, um, whether this, this perfect picture that, um, that the markets are laying out ahead of itself might get derailed uh, just from the, uh, the lack of cooperation between uh, policy uh, makers. Um, so I think that's a very interesting point. I also think that, you know, are the, are the markets really listening to what the ECB is saying? For example, they're not saying anything about um, uh, lower interest rates anytime soon. I'm not so sure even the Fed is saying anything about, they might say, well, we're slowing down, but I don't think they're saying anything about low interest rates anytime soon. So I think there's a lot of, I think there's actually building up a a fair amount of risk of disappointment in the markets, both in bonds and in equities. And just based on my own kind of uh, observations, having been involved in markets for 35 plus years, I'm not so sure that that what we saw last year was the bottom of of the bear market. I think what we're seeing now could as easily just be a big correction in a much bigger bear market where uh, essentially disappointment with earnings. We're obviously seeing layoffs uh, hitting uh, as well, but disappointment with earnings or whatever it might be could easily change the the uh, change sentiment uh, once more. So that's that's sort of some of those things. I also think about the inflation front. I was talking to one of my friends in Denmark the other day, and as he was saying, yeah, it's great that inflation is, is coming down, but it's still 9%. <laughs> You're thinking, oh, shoot, it's 9%. And, and you know, interest rates are far below that. So, yeah, it's going to take some time for it to get down to something like, you know, 4%. And, and so... At the moment, you're hoping that inter- that inflation will come down to interest rates, but at some point, maybe interest rates have to come up to the inflation rate to kind of get to to that uh, point. And and then there's a, a kind of a, a at least for us here in Europe, uh, another thing I think we can't ignore, and that's the fact that the U.S. and Europe are now sending tanks to Ukraine. What what does that mean? Does it mean that? That the that Russia at some point will say, well, actually, this we we can cut half of our oil exports, and so you're going to get four million barrels less than you normally get. So that's just probably going to drive up prices by a significant amount, so that they won't necessarily financially lose out too much. But inflation is going to come back on the agenda, that's for sure. The same with, and I'm kind of, I hear from many different people, and and some of them obviously guests on 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 the on the podcast about some of these constraints that you have in the uh, in the commodity space, uh, not least with some of the metals. And I'm thinking, I don't know if, if people are aware of it, but but a lot of the metals that goes into uh, production of weapons and 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 you know the shells that they go that get they fire thousands of every single day, all of that metal, a lot of it comes from Russia. I mean, it's not like we have metals all around the world. And so that's another thing I'm kind of worried about is that maybe there comes a time where we just simply can't get the metals we need. And I've certainly heard Peter Zion talk about that companies like Airbus is going to run out of the metals they need to build the planes in in the not too distant future. So I have all these different conflicting kind of messages in my mind, um, which suggests that there's a lot of uncertainty ahead of us. and And therefore, I'm a little bit surprised about the calmness. I mean, VIX is very subdued. And of course, there has been some pretty big market moves uh, this month so far. But but still, it, it all looks a little bit too rosy for for me if I was going to... Yeah. Well, I, well, I know. I, I mean, it's interesting. If you go back to maybe last August and Jackson Hole, and we talked about it at the time, you know, when, when all the, the themes that came out of there were, were all around supply side challenges that we 
we will have going forward. And, you know, we heard the same from Bill White when we had him on. And, you know, anybody who's looked at that side is saying, yeah, th- you know, we've got deglobalization, we have nearshoring or friendshoring or whatever you want to call it. And, and you've got all of these structural uh, shifts. I suppose the thing about the supply side is it evolves slowly. It's not like there's a monthly release like you have with payrolls or inflation highlighting you know, where we're at with supply side. So it's still there in the background, but it just hasn't been to the fore in the last few months. And and the market seems to have pushed it aside as as an issue and and more focused on, you know, the favorable uh, news we've been seeing on the the inflation side recently, I guess. But I I agree with you. I mean, none of these issues have, have gone away. Yeah, yeah. And and favorable on the inflation side when you exclude food and energy, um, uh, you know, uh, which is very hard to exclude if you're a family of, of four or five, uh, you know. So we'll see. I think PC comes out this uh, week, doesn't a, it? it? And um, so, uh, I think it was out oh, earlier maybe today, but uh, I haven't had a chance to look at it. Okay, well, neither have I. So good stuff. All right, well, um, no doubt there'll be more to talk about uh, as we move forward. In terms of a uh, trend-following update, um Sure, there's been some uh, corrections uh, in some of the trends uh, in January. Um, Maybe it already started uh, in December, so there was a bit of dispersion in returns in December. And I think some of the managers who probably uh, lost a little bit of ground in December, I think they're doing uh, somewhat better this month compared to the managers who had kind of kept the positions on during December and therefore benefited from from um, some of the longer-term trends resuming for a little while, and now they're certainly been turned in January. So, um, uh, yeah, so there's going to be some more pain uh, for those uh, managers, either through the markets they trade or the timeframes they use. But, of course, things like bonds and stuff like that has had a good month, and that's, you know, that's against the longer-term downtrend that they were in last year. But it's not bad. I mean, overall for the for the in- industry, it's not really uh, that bad at all. I was looking at the numbers as of Wednesday night, since we're recording a day early, and uh, the beta fifty index is down like twenty basis points, so nothing to write home about. Uh, Stockgen CTA index down about one uh, percent. Trend index down about one point seven percent. The short short term traders index is is flat, slightly down. So nothing uh, nothing uh, at all really to um, to be. Uh, uh, concerned about and also my trend barometer is uh, last uh, reading was 45 that's completely neutral so plus minus a couple of percent for the indices is what it looks like uh, even though we have a couple of days left for trading in January and that is of course in contrast to as you were pointing out uh, equities doing really well this year MSCI up three uh, sorry six and three quarters uh, even the world government bond index is up this month, uh, up two and a half percent there, thereabouts, and the S and P five hundred down. Uh, sorry, up five point seven five percent. All right. So with that out of the way, that allows us a little bit of time, extra time this week, to talk about some other topics. And you were very kindly provided some, uh, as I have been on the road. So happy to let you lead um, current current markets and asset allocation. Obviously, we talked a little about some of the themes that's going on right now, but where do you want to go with kind of markets and asset allocation? Yeah, I mean, I think really, well, just we touched on it a little bit in the intro, but, uh, you know, it's, we're at an interesting juncture. We've, we've had all of this pessimism in the last year, a big sell-off in equities, and now, as you've said, a big rebound. And uh, so it's kind of like, is that it? Did we see the? Have we seen the bottom or not? And um, Jeremy Grantham had, a, had, a, had an update piece out uh, recently, which I, which I kind of thought summarized it, it quite well. Some of the issues, obviously, a year ago, he uh, published his piece, kind of saying he, he thought markets were, were ripe. Obviously, he's been saying it for a while, but he 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 he, he kind of came came out in January saying he felt that the timing was good then, and 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 was pretty pretty accurate with that call. But obviously. You know, we've had the rebound, and now the question is, you know, is 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 it still looking bearish? And overall, he, in his piece, he, he was uh, still 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 pessimistic, but he caught, I would say a bit more cautious. Uh, one reason for for the caution is 
that there is a bit more pessimism generally, like you did highlight how some of the sell side strategists and Morgan Stanley and Goldman had had have been are, are calling for kind of um, earnings recessions this year. So being a contrarian, that, that that's maybe a concern. Um, the second thing which I found very interesting, he, he, and he does often talk about this, is the presidential cycle. Um, and uh, you know he, he's looked at this historically, and and you know the presidential cycle being at how. You know where you are in the four-year uh, electoral cycle can influence economic policy, and actually, what he's found is the period in the second year of the four-year cycle, from October to April, has been historically very positive for for the equity market. Now, um, I, I think I'd have to check, but but something like the return you get in that period is equal to the return you get in all of the other period, which is statistically very un unlikely. I don't know if this is something that any of our managers have ever looked into and, and, and whether the sample size is, is, is big enough, probably not to, to have any conviction in it. I'm a bit skeptical, I have to say. I, 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 it seems odd that the, that period in the second year is so critical. You would have thought maybe a little bit closer to the, to the election would be the time you'd see this boost. But anyway, that, that, we're in the midst of that period now. So it's not... But, it, but if I can interject here a little bit, Alan, I mean... It could have nothing to do with the presidential cycle. It could just be a four-year cycle and where it just happens to be uh, we're in that time where market... Because I actually personally, if I take off my, my trend-following hat, I think markets do have cycles. I completely believe that. But whether you can pin it to a president or not, I don't really know, but probably I would doubt it, frankly. But 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 is there a four-year cycle or is there a 40-year interest rate cycle? I truly believe there is. So... So it's an interesting thing, and and I think, and we'll come to this in a in, in a little later when we talk about some of the early observations we've done in the uh, in the CTA mini series. But I do think that some managers talks about doing you know seasonality and stuff like that. So yeah, maybe. I mean, one of the interesting features of it is it, it's good for the U.S. equity market, but historically it's been even better for the U.K. equity market. So. Why, 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 why that's the case? I'm not sure, but you know, maybe it's just the uh, yeah, could just be random. But um, but that's one of the factors. Um, and obviously, he does touch on 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 the kind of the, the other parts of the bullish narrative at the moment: China reopening, inflation coming down, etc. But um, but equally, and he touched on it in his piece is the uh, is the issue that we were talking about earlier about these periodic shortages that we're likely to see going forward in relation to to um, you know the, the metals required as part of the greening of of, of the global economy, and also, uh, and it's something that I, I wrote a piece in in December around as well about the long and variable lags from monetary policy. We have had this excess cash in the system that you know it would be, everybody saved during the pandemic, and you had stimulus checks, so um, money supply growth was unusually high. And money supply growth has 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 collapsed, but but the stock of money, the the stock of savings, are still in in the economy and gradually being depleted um so that's one reason why monetary policy may not to date have been that effective uh, but but you, you could have a scenario that in the second half of this year as those savings get depleted that the higher rates start to have a bigger impact on the economy so his baseline case is still looking for s p to, to to go back down to about 3200 and slightly below and that would bring it you know in line it would be a, about a 45 to 50 percent um correction uh, i think in in real terms overall which would be in line with kind of past uh, similar episodes um the other point that he does uh, make which i think is a good point too because as you say we've been hearing about you know is our central banks going to pivot etc and and obviously everybody uh, kind of assumes that once you know once the fed pivots that that will be great for the equity market but obviously there have been instances in the past you know in 2007 2008 2000 2002 and and other ones where the fed did start a rate cutting cycle but the economic downturn was so severe that that wasn't enough to save the equity market as well. So I think that's another factor that people are kind of not uh, acknowledging amid all of this expectation about an eventual Fed pivot and how that would save the market. So, yeah, just another, I mean, it's another perspective to add to the mix. I thought it did summarize quite nicely the the, the kind of the, the current bullish narrative, but also um Put in context uh, the kind of the relevant factors that that may still be be headwinds for equities uh, going forward. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen uh, charts floating around in uh, social media land um, where they show that actually uh, often equity markets, you know, go into or, or continue a bear market like nine, 12 months after the uh, the central bank starts to lower rates, which speaks to your point that it may not be a great sign for equity investors, the fact that the central bank is going to, uh, to change course. Um, the other thing, I was thinking about when you talked about um, the the uh, money supply. I mean, the other thing I don't think we can completely ignore is the fact that um, you know the Federal Reserve is tightening on and reducing its balance sheet. I mean, we're I think we're below eight trillion for the first time since whenever. And um, although I don't follow it super super close, but I think the pace is pretty um, healthy uh, in terms of what's happening on that front at the moment, and that probably has a an impact as well. And then I still think another thing we we haven't even talked about, but that could also be a little bit of a dark horse here, which uh, I guess uh, our friend Cliff Asnes has raised, and that's private equity. I mean, if, 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 if equity markets don't really kind of recover and we, and this, and we still have another leg down, for example, you know, at what point do these funds have to, um, you know, mark to market, so to speak? How how long can they continue to have their own set of prices? If I can be so blunt to say it like that, it's it's something that I think we can't completely um, ignore as a, as a little bit of a risk factor. But I don't know if you if that's something you come across yeah i mean it's uh, been an ongoing topic of discussion um in terms of i guess in our industry you know that we, we look at it with a little bit of frustration um but uh i i mean i think there's a sense in in some of these investments that because you know there hasn't been transactions you you don't you, you, you don't mark the book yet so it's a, a bit of a sense of make-believe that um okay nothing to see here but in reality everybody knows that that the valuations have to be you know a lot less particularly obviously in the in the venture world you know obviously look at look at um arc um you know kathy wood's portfolio you know that's telling you that the these uh you know um High, high growth stocks and um you know the more the most speculative end have, have have adjusted massively in terms of value so i mean what it means you know uh, you know obviously one thing it, 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 that, that it often means for our industry is that uh, rebalancing can, can you know it, 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 as as investors need liquidity sometimes that you know that the atm is also is is often the, the CGA, so so not not always a positive when when other assets aren't uh, doing as well um, uh, for for CGAs. But um, yeah, I, I think it will be interesting to see um, what's the investment impact. You know, or I mean, on investor groups like pension funds, etc. Um, what does that do to their asset allocation? You know, they may still have commitments, so they may still have to to, to fund. But I, I imagine it's probably also for for people in in the space. There's probably interesting opportunities in the secondaries market now because of all of this. But uh, I'm not close enough to that uh, to, to 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 be able to speak on on that. Now, uh, the next uh, sort of topic you had slotted in um, was relating to our own wonderful industry, CTAs. There are a couple of papers, three papers you wanted to um, uh, discuss. I have, uh, I can safely say I'm not entirely sure I've read any of them. Uh, I may have skimmed over some of them. So I will follow along as, as best I can. But it does relate to uh, obviously the CTA uh, industry and, and so on and so forth. So why don't you set the stage? Sure, yeah. Now some of it is, is uh, in relation to last year and obviously we're getting towards the end of January. So it's probably the last chance to, to start to, to reflect back on 2022 again. But there was a couple of interesting observations. First one was uh, just a, 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 a paper from SockGen where they do a kind of an annual review. Um, and it, we're, we're at that point where a lot of firms are issuing their annual letters and probably just have them out by now but there was a couple of interesting bits in the uh, in in the sockchain piece obviously they were reflecting on it being the best year ever uh, for for the sockchain CTA index up 20% and the sockchain trend also up 27% uh, its best year um 
but interestingly how volatility for for the, for the index wasn't higher so better in terms of uh, risk adjusted performance the the short term traders index has also had had a very good year up 11% and actually you could say short term did even better um purely from the perspective that the volatility of that index is very low, only um, uh, 4.5% vol. So, yeah, so, I mean, to, to, to say it was better, you'd, you'd have had to, you know, levered up your portfolio of short-term managers. But but it is interesting, and, and it is something that came up with in one of our conversations recently, how one of the managers, Heather non-trend, had done even better than trend. So, you know, it, it is it, it just speaks to what an interesting market environment it was last year, that not only did markets trend but there was volatility that that could be captured by by shorter term systems as well and then in 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 the stock gen piece they they have a heat map of the individual markets and uh and and, and how different trend strategies of different lookbacks performed which i always find interesting and, and really shows you kind of you know how 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 well or not you might have done depending on how you allocated risk and and basically what it shows is you know for medium to long term trend following you know uh, bonds were, were were universally uh, positive to trade actually when you look into the commodity space uh, a lot of the markets weren't that that great um you know if you look at things like sugar and uh, live cattle and lean hogs for for a lot of the time frames they, they, they you know you're seeing their heat map is blue for 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 tough performance red for 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 profitable and there's plenty of blue in in the kind of the commodity and in uh, in the equity space particularly in the equities for for for, for slower systems so it is interesting if you look at the performance in the industry we're, we're talking about how 2022 was such a great year but actually for some managers 2021 was an even better year and i think that's because for in some of the commodity markets there were there were, there were even better opportunities in 2021 than in 2022 so depending on how you allocated your your, your risk i think the the, the the very best market i think was the the euro dollar market the three-month euro dollar future um, and that's an interesting one because i think in that market and we've been talking about this as well not only did you have a great trend, but you had this huge volatility expansion. You know, if you think about it, going back one to two years, there was very little volatility in short-term interest rates. So if you got onto that trend early, you would have had a very large position. And obviously, if you weren't a manager that was, you know, volatizing your position, you would have held that and it would have been an enormous contributor to, to performance. So so that makes sense that how well um, you know, euro dollars, euro ibers, uh, slightly behind, but still very positive. But then, obviously, Japan three month um, uh, hasn't really moved yet. So I'm sure a lot of people are looking at that as the next possible um, big opportunities. But we'll, we'll we'll have to see if that plays out. But um, but yeah, interesting that uh, as I say, fixed income it was really the standout. Currency is good too, but 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 more mixed then across. Um, I would say the commodities and an equity side, and generally in terms of the speeds, obviously, uh, kind of the sweet spot seemed to be in terms of their lookbacks, kind of between eighty to one hundred and twenty uh, day lookbacks seemed to be where they found things to be the strongest. Yeah, no, it, it is an interesting uh, uh, chart they show uh, about this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, Alan, but I think this is based on their trend indicator, right? This is what they what they base this on. And as you know, it, it, it may well have had a good year last year, but the trend indicator that they published is not... Yeah, well, no, I think the trend indicator is, is just one system. So I think that's just... Um, so I think that like this is showing all uh, all of different lookbacks, so it's not just one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Different lookbacks, exactly. Yeah, and and so on that note, um, we also ran our kind of where we look at a whole portfolio of markets where we don't look market by market, um, but at a, at a whole portfolio of sixty different markets um, to see where the best quote unquote best lookback period would have been last year, and it it was actually pretty close to what I would say is is the long term um, uh, sort of cluster, which is around two hundred days. It was a li- the the very best one was a little bit above two hundred days, but if I look at the uh, look back periods all the way down to twenty days, all the way up to three hundred days, which we do in our calculations, uh, all of those periods actually would have been profitable last year. So it's not surprising that well, of course I would say that short term trend following shouldn't really be profitable because short term you don't really do 
trend following the way you and I think of trend following. It's you, when you're a short-term manager, you do other stuff. You time-based exits, you use all sorts of other ways of getting out. You don't wait for the trend to turn per se. Last year, actually, you would, would, you would also have made money from a trend following system using shorter term timeframes. So it was a, a very broad-based trend year. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, again, and this is that's what shows the difference in, in, in how managers put these things together, which you and I are learning during our conversations with these firms, because even though we're talking about the same topics, the way they explain it, the way they tell about their own kind of uh, approach to, to this, you can tell there's a difference. You can tell that they don't necessarily see the same things, and, and that's that's great in, in many ways. But yeah, I mean, a good year last year without a doubt, and, and, and maybe we can't keep talking about 2022, but we will try a little bit longer as we go through uh, our final uh, however many recordings we still have to do. But, um, but yeah, and <clears throat> then you wanted to talk about another paper. Yeah, it was very much on the same theme, to, to be honest. They published on their website uh, kind of a review of 2022, kind of like the key points, I think, from their letter. Um, and again, they, they they take a similar approach in terms of looking at different speeds, uh, how they did in different markets, etc. And, um, you know, kind of a similar outcome there, I would say, in terms of what – so the, in their models, I think they run at um, – Eight, eight different speeds uh, from from kind of uh, kind of five day lookbacks to 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 to, to over one hundred and twenty days, um, and uh, again slow was was very profitable in bonds, also in energies and uh, and in interest rates, uh, not so in in, in equities um, and not so in in the, the credit state they have as a distinct asset class too, and agricultural commodities was 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 a very kind of flat year too, uh, across the different time periods, which is kind of consistent with what, what we were seeing. In, in the um, in the SOCGEN heat map, the the other thing that was, I found interesting in in this paper um, uh, was that they, they they talk not only about trend, but they also talk about some of the other investment uh, systematic investment styles and uh, models that they have, such as carry flows, uh, macro fundamentals, seasonality, as we were talking about, um, sentiment, slope curve, technical value. Um, and they looked at how all of these uh, types of systems did in different uh, in the different sectors last year. So it, it, I, that was quite interesting in the sense that, you know, you, you might have thought, well, it was a tough year, say, for, for, for carry strategies. You might have thought with a rising rate. But actually, what they found, it was actually positive for, for carry across the asset classes, negative in some of them, but but say positive in things like equities, for example. So, like, what's carry in equities? Well, obviously... When you know when rates rise and rates are are higher than dividends, um, uh, basically uh, you know uh, the carry position in equities is to be short equities. So you know there's lots of we, we were talking about this there now at our own year end review is at the end of carry or not. But you have different manifestations of carry, and obviously in currencies, uh, carry uh, the dollar was a carry trade last year as well. So interesting that 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 momentum and trend was was their best system. But other things did work. Uh, carry seasonality worked well for them. Uh, sentiment, and again, it, just highlighting that it wasn't uh, just trend is what we've been hearing from some managers that trend and other strategies have benefited from this more, I suppose, dislocated market environment. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, um, uh, completely uh, agree with all of that. Maybe we maybe move on to uh, the the next topic, which which kind of feeds into uh, what you were talking about uh, just a moment ago, and that's uh, th this whole issue of speed. And uh, uh, Man actually had a paper out on this uh, earlier this month, uh, looking at the topic that you're talking about, um, which is you know fast trend following and the benefit or or not in in, in a portfolio. The you know what, what the paper presented was basically what you. You get by adding faster trend systems to a portfolio or if you look at the performance of fast trend systems versus slow trend systems in terms of now 
they do break it out before in terms of before cost and after cost. And as you highlighted, the cost is obviously very significant when it comes to, to short term trading because you're trading so frequently. So on, 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 a, on a kind of pre cost or before cost basis, even even not a land for cost fast trend doesn't it hasn't done as well as 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 kind of medium to long term trend. Uh, but it did have a have a, a more favorable a positive skewness. Um, so a kind of different risk characteristic. So what's the benefit of, of it? Uh, so the, tangibly, the benefit is particularly in times of equity downturns that the that the faster trend systems will do better. So that's that's one of the things you get this favorable skewness, better performance in 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 equity down markets. Um, uh, but obviously, what's critical to being able to capitalize on that is is having good execution, and 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 obviously this is a theme that we've picked up from from the managers too. What was interesting uh, within their paper was they then looked at how if you combined a trend system with a sixty forty portfolio, uh, even after cost. You know which trend system would give you the best uh, kind of drawdown mitigation uh, for the overall portfolio, but between sixty forty plus trend, and they found that 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 an, an equally balanced uh, or equally blended one of, across different speeds. So having some faster systems was 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 favorable in terms of. Re- you know, mitigating the drawdowns and equities. Whereas, if you were reliant just on on slow trend, um, you know, you you, you would suffer a, a larger drawdown. So, I thought it's an interesting paper. It's very much. I think it's a good segue into picking up on some of the themes because, uh, really, when you think about it, you know, it strikes me that this is the kind of the journey in in the CTA world. You know. You want to generate absolute return, so that argues in favor of medium to long term trend. Then you have to, con, you know, confront the fact that you'll have drawdowns and they can be painful. So then people say, "Well, will we add some carry or something like that, or not?" And then you've got the, you know, you've got the fact that people are looking at uh, CTAs for crisis alpha. So you want to be able to deliver some kind of performance when equities turn down. So that argues in favor of, well, maybe should we add some fast systems or not? And everybody's kind of grappling with all of these questions, and and people have had come to different conclusions, reflecting different utilities, to use that expression, or different tolerances for drawdown. But but I think that's kind of broadly the, the, the journey and, and the trade-offs that people are, are, are experiencing as they kind of construct uh, uh, trend-following uh, uh, programs. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's been fascinating to, uh, to learn about how people uh, look at these things, but then also have to put it in a business context, right? They have a business to run and they have clients to... Uh, well, some people might say, well, we, it shouldn't be the clients who decide uh, what systems we use. We should uh, develop the best system. But um, many people would argue, well, that doesn't help if all the client, if the clients can't stomach it. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, there are lots of things you have to uh, take into consideration. I think that's also been... And I, you know, <clears throat> maybe we're halfway through our recording so far, Alan, and... I can't really think of two firms so far that have given us kind of the same explanation. They've all been a little bit different how they've interpreted this um, and and how they've designed their strategy so far, which is uh, which is quite fascinating. And and feel free to go back and and talk about some of the points you wanted to raise. But there's one thing that's kind of still on my mind as we kind of get through this um, uh, these conversations. And maybe we need to raise that more in in the conversations we have left to record, and and that is, well, how does it still leave the industry in terms of compelling investors, more investors, I should say, to implement this? Because I know part of the topics we discuss and that you uh, kind of bring up is is this the role of trend following in a multi asset portfolio. But maybe we need to um, try and dig a little bit deeper into how the various firms try and get more people to to take the step. I still think that's it. it it's a bit big question mark for me uh, still uh, after all these years as to why it is so hard for investors to embrace a strategy that has so much evidence on its side. Um, and okay, maybe it's going to be a little bit easier the next 12 to 18 months to get people to um, focus on trend following. And and certainly I just came back from four days in Barcelona with uh, at a conference um, and trend following, 
even though it wasn't a trend-following conference, but trend-following was on the agenda. It was talked about. Many people raised it as a as an area where they wanted to have some exposure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But but we still need the follow-through, right? We we can't just say just because it's been a good year and and people and it's on on the top of the agenda for some people that that that's enough. It's it's not. And I so I still wonder what it takes for people to really embrace and internalize the value that these strategies provide. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, and, and that's, as you say, one of the important points that managers have made around the, making it digestible, is, you know, and that's part of the motivation for having not pure trend, but trend with some other strategies to smooth out the return. So, so, and, and that, and that, and also, as some, as some of the managers said, it's 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 a painful ride for the manager if it's pure trend as well. So it's not just purely from 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 the client's perspective. So I, I think I think that's that's definitely valid. Um, you know, it's interesting. It was it was definitely commented in one of the conversations around you know people's experience of time and and how you know a one year drawdown or a two year drawdown. You know, it doesn't seem like a long time in you know when you look at it on a chart of of a historical simulation or whatever. But if you live through it, it can feel like a long time. You know, and um, you know it's 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 an interesting one. It's just I, I think uh, I think the randomness of of outcomes. You know, as when to, when the returns will arise and arrive. You know, that's that's the thing that I think people struggle with. So I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those ones that uh, CTAs capitalize on people's behavioral biases you know broadly speaking but those behavioral biases mean that people are reluctant to allocate to cta so there's an irony to it but uh, will that change i don't know no and 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 the other thing um certainly that uh i'm i'm picking up on from just seeing the data coming out now um but also i think some of the conversations we've had uh, seen some of the year-end letters the managers have been uh, sharing is that um, a little bit counterintuitive when you think about how well this area did or this strategy did compared to any, anything else last year, right? But it looks like there were quite a lot of outflows from the industry. Um, that's what I'm seeing at least. And of course, so at first glance, you could say, well, that's weird because people are, so people are selling what's making them money. But actually when you think about okay, so who's invested in these strategies? It's most institutional money. Then it makes perfect sense because they have to do their quarterly or annual rebalancing. Um, and therefore, they they have to sell out of the things that are making money to buy the stuff that is, you know, losing money. The question will be, of course, uh, are we going to see the reverse if equities are having a great period now? Is it then time to sell some of that and then buy into some 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 trend following again, for example. From memory, it never seems to quite happen at the same pace as as the other way around, but maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit too pessimistic here. Um, perhaps people have learned the lesson and and they will um, be disciplined about that 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 rotation as well. Uh, time will tell. But that was that was another thing I picked up on. And then of course we also We've also asked them a little bit about how they feel about being replicated, which, of course, I might pick up with Andrew next week when I speak with him. I would say the answers we've had so far, I think, is very, very like what I would expect from people in our industry because I think they have been very constructive. It's not like they're sitting in the corner being you know, upset about the fact that someone is trying to replicate what they do. But there have, of course, been different uh, variations of that. And one thing I did pick up on... And I don't know how much I want to go into detail today about it, but one thing I did pick up at this conference that I attended is that there are a lot. There's a lot of focus on trend replication. So some of these investment banks, they must really think that either it's a great strategy and all their clients should have it, even though they're competing with another set of their clients, or they're just seeing an opportunity to make some money um, because trend is um, in in you know. In, in favor again. I'm not so sure, even having attended a couple of presentations on how they do their trend following, which frankly, if I'm being very, uh, you know, frank about it, I, I wasn't impressed and I thought there was a, a, a few shortcuts that I didn't like that they 
did not disclose in terms of cost and in terms of simulated data rather versus real data and all that stuff. But it's certainly on the agenda uh, from these big powerhouses. That's that's for sure. Which, you know, you could say all publicity is good publicity, so maybe it is a good thing. We'll 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 see. Well, I just one thing I wanted to talk touch on to to kind of close out was uh, just around the obviously it struck me listening to a lot of the um, uh, managers. Uh, my background is obviously more multi manager portfolio uh, construction, but but actually you you face the same challenges as a multi manager uh, allocator as you do as the, the the single manager has the same kind of uh, trade offs in terms of okay. Let's generate a portfolio trend focused, but then we got to draw down considerations. So will we add some non-trend strategies? Could be quant macro, short term, um, you know, particularly from the perspective of, of delivering crisis alpha. So I think, um, yeah, just to touch on that, I mean, I, and, and equally, one of the topics that came up was that now it's uh, the way the industry is evolving at the, for the institutional investors. At the single manager and at the multi manager, customization is 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 becoming a much bit more important thing. So it's not just that man- managers have one fund and they go and sell it. Instead, they say, "Well, do you want pure trend, or do you want trend heavy, or do you want multi strat?" Uh, and they let the investors decide. And and you're seeing that on the multi manager side as well. So again, you could have clients saying, "We'll build out a." trend-heavy portfolio or build out a diversified managed futures portfolio. Um, obviously, from a multi-manager perspective, um, you know, the big case for, for multi-manager and, and when you're allocating to CTAs uh, to, to go with a number of managers is, is obviously the, the dispersion that we see across the industry and, 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 and the low persistence. So um, I, I had a look at the, uh, the, the managers in Sakjin trend index from last year and looked at their performance over the last 10 years and uh, risk adjusted all, all, all the managers to 15, um, to 15 vol. And actually the average um, annual dispersion is, uh, is about 32%. So in, in any 12-month period, you would expect a 32% difference between the best manager and the worst manager out of, out of the 10. So that's pretty pretty sizable uh, dispersion. And, you know, this is a topic that, that, that that's come up a bit and, and it came up in the, in the context of the replication conversation as well. Like, do investors want to capture the industry return or do they want to get the best managers? And of course, the challenge is very often what you see with managers is they might have a one, two, three year period of outperformance and they attract flows. But then not that they do anything wrong, but they just experience reversion to the mean, and suddenly they underperform, and then that can be difficult for for an investor to hold. So, the the, the basis for, for for considering multi-manager is obviously to it it's 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 partially behavioral, I would say, in that sense, in that it helps you overcome you know selling out managers just on the basis of 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 a couple of years underperformance. Obviously, there is a a diversification benefit, you know, in the quantitative sense of if if you allocate to ten trend followers, you will get a level of volatility reduction in your portfolio. So you can, you then you can either choose to have a lower vol portfolio or lever that up. So there is that kind of quantitative benefit too. But I think that that behavioral aspect is quite quite important, and that's kind of been what you often find when you're engaging with investors. So we had a bad experience with managed features. We went into it once, we picked one manager, then they underperformed and we exited. So so I think looking at multi-manager can, can or, yeah, and that can either be with a fund of funds or, or doing it, uh, you know, uh, obviously large institutions will, will, will often do it themselves. Um, you get that benefit. And then obviously what you can do is, you know, as we've been learning, managers take very different choices in, in, in how they execute trend following. And because of those differences in choices, you get slightly different return profiles. So with the multi-manager approach, you're obviously blending the, 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 to get the benefit of all of that in, in, in a portfolio. So so I think that that, that that richness, that dispersion is certainly something that's, and, and that variety of approaches is certainly something that's coming out quite strongly in the conversations that we're having. Yeah, no, absolutely. And but but of course, I mean, there's several sides to this because, of course, you could say, well, you know, 
investors shouldn't really care about whether they're underperforming or outperforming one year or three years or five years. It's a long run. I mean, like they don't necessarily look too much about individual stocks on a year-by-year basis. So so, uh, I I take your point, and I agree that there could be some comfort for people to to, um, not have to worry so much about that, Um, but they're probably paying for it somewhere. Um, But the other thing you mentioned that I thought was quite interesting is this idea that uh, because I, I obviously we've heard it from in some of some of our conversations, uh, but I also think it's this idea of giving people more choice, right? Saying, well, maybe you can decide whether you want the equity beta being capped and this that you can do these building blocks. And on one side, I can see the compelling argument for that, but on the other side, I'm also thinking. No, 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 no. You don't want to give people all these choices because they're not equipped to make those choices. That That's what we are there for. That's what our research is there for. We should put our best ideas into one product and and and, and investors should rely on all the experience and the research, etc. But I do but I, but of course we see that that that's that there are different uh, approaches to to this as well. So I was just curious where where you sat on that, whether you think people should choose themselves, or or whether they should let the manager with all the experience uh, do the do the choosing. I think, yeah, I think it is something that has been in my mind as we've uh, been having a conversation. And I think there's kind of two ways: like you, you can give people certain things, but not not necessarily everything. You know, so if if a manager, if if a client said, "Oh, we'd rather if you didn't trade." dollar yen or something like that you would say you'd probably push back and say well no that's not that that doesn't make sense you know i mean uh, just because a, a certain market hasn't delivered returns say for a number of years you, you know that kind of decision isn't a good choice to make but if somebody says okay i want trend plus non-trend i think that's fair enough you know so i think there are some things you can say okay yeah that that's the kind of choice you can offer i think i think it's interesting you, you kind of have the larger firms who have evolved into these kind of solutions providers, whereas maybe the smaller firms are more have the trading heritage of the of the person who started it, and they're still thinking in terms of okay, what's the single best portfolio to deliver the strongest returns? So I think it's kind of philosophically two different approaches. Can't say one is right or wrong. The only thing is, I would say is you do have a duty of not to give people things that wouldn't be good for them in a sense. Uh, so in a portfolio sense, you don't want to add like shortfall or something like that. Just, uh, you know, um, so so I think you can give choices, but just you can't give people everything. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. Now, Alan, we also have to be, um, we also have to look inward, of course. And and I did see, and I, the, I, I think the people um, or the group of people who who hear what I have to say now, they, they know who they are. Uh, but I did see actually uh, on my way back uh, yesterday um, uh, a comment. He, he very kindly didn't say which podcast it was, but we're happy to admit it was on our podcast. And I think where he felt that in one of the episodes we haven't been we haven't been hard enough, we hadn't pushed back enough on some of the statements that were made in the uh, in the conversation. But all I just wanted to say is that we are not here to call out managers and make them uncomfortable in these conversations. We are here to try and get the best we can uh, out of the conversation. So we we so even if we don't necessarily fully agree with it, people shouldn't expect us to get into a heated debate about uh, certain things and and uh, and and certainly not comment on on their performance, whether it's been good or bad or whatever. So so uh, I think the person who wrote that uh, tweet will know who I'm talking to, and and I respect the view. And it's not that it hasn't crossed my mind, but I hope he also understands what we're trying to do with this. And uh, as I said, I think what we've done and what we're hopefully, uh, or what we're doing right now has never been done before. And I think the value of bringing all of these brightest minds in our industry together in a series like this, I think it, it I hope it makes up for the fact that we're not necessarily wanting to get into a heated debate with them, um, but actually just hear their thoughts that, you know, that's what the... The, this series is 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 all about. All right. Any final thoughts, Alan, from you before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, no, I agree with you. I mean, I I I think we can't like 
the idea isn't to get confrontational it's to give managers the opportunity to answer and give their perspective on these topics if if there's some things that they don't go into in in as much detail as some people would like i can understand it could be a bit frustrating but at the same time yeah we're not here to 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 try and interrogate or confront people um aggressively so yeah um but but yeah no it has to be a safe place for people to come and voice their opinions um i think that's how we get the most uh, out of this and how we get them back and talk uh, about all of these uh, topics so we're going to wrap up uh, our conversation today uh, we hope as usual that you've uh, been able to take something away from it and we would very much like if you would take just a few minutes to head over to itunes or spotify or amazon wherever you hear your podcast leave a rating and review um, they are coming in on a regular basis but we could always use more it's actually one of the things that Apple has come out saying this week uh, that that's what helps their algorithms to put people in higher up in the charts, uh, that people are engaged, that they comment, etc., etc. So if you wouldn't mind, spend a few minutes um, to uh, to do that. We would so much appreciate that. As mentioned earlier, next week I'm joined by Andrew Beer, who's back, our resident CTA replicator. That's going to be fun. Maybe he's got some views on some of the topics we've already touched on with some of the managers. But of course, you can also ask him questions, so feel free to send them to info at and we'll do our best to bring them up. From Alan and me, Thanks ever so much for listening. We look forward to being back with you next week. And in the meantime, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.